You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 32, the family of Adam. The literary structure of Genesis is divided into 11 parts, with a summary phrase including the word history, account, or genealogy, except for the first, although it does give a time reference, commencing history. We see this in Genesis 1-1 with an introduction to the beginning of time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then Genesis 2-4 introduces what God created. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Then Genesis 5-1, Adam. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. Next, we have Noah in Genesis 6, 9, and 10. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Fifth, the sons of Noah in Genesis 10:1. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. Then the Semites in Genesis 11.10. This is the account of Shem's family line. Two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arphaxad. Seventh is Terah in Genesis 11.27. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Eight, the family line of Ishmael is introduced in Genesis 25:12. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Ishmael, whom Sarah's slave Hagar, the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. Ninth, we have Isaac in Genesis 25:19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac. Then we have Esau in Genesis 36.1. This is the account of the family line of Esau, that is Edom. And finally, in Genesis 37.2, we're introduced to the family of Jacob, or Israel, and this nation will occupy the rest of the Bible predominantly. So this is the account of Jacob's family line. It's good to watch for those divisions as you read. We see scriptures again tell us man was created in the likeness of God in verse 1. Verse 2 says, uh, He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. They were created on the same day, and together they reflect the image of God. The book Prince Caspian by C.S. Lewis has a quote about what it means to descend from this pair. You come from the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, said Aslan, and that is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Be content. So don't be afraid of the genealogical lists in the Bible. They are there for several reasons. First, the Bible is a true historical record of the world. Therefore, real people, places, and ages are recorded. There would be no need for such details if it was merely allegorical. One particular tribe 
who also kept an oral tradition of the names of their ancestors, believed the Bible was true when they heard the lists, because the Bible named all the people going back to the beginning. Secondly, since the first promise of the Gospel given to Adam and Eve, they would be waiting for the promised Deliverer, who would be a human. And as Revelation progressed, they would learn that he would come through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Further, he would be from the tribe of Judah. Other details, such as his place of birth, Bethlehem, would be revealed later. The Jews needed to keep records so that they would recognize and confirm that this Messiah met the criteria. It would increase their faith in God as they saw him fulfill his promises. Finally, I've heard of missionaries who were tempted to skip over these lists of names, but read them anyway, and all the people seemed to hear was the phrase, and he died, and he died, and he died. And this convicted them about the reality of death, no matter how long a person lived. And this fulfills God's promise that because of sin, man would surely die. Also, it's a good practice to challenge yourself to try to pronounce the names. So Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born, and then he lived another 800 years. It's interesting that it says he had a son in his own likeness after his image. And this shows us that in procreation we are like God in a small way, who created us in his image. But now to be made in their father's image is to have a sinful nature from day one. We are not innocent with a tabula rasa or blank slate. As cute as babies are, they are born with a bent or disposition towards sin. And this is the doctrine of original sin. If you've ever lived with a toddler, you'd know that one of the first words they learn is a defiant no. You don't have to teach them to disobey, but to obey. There is sin, meaning a sinful nature, which all people have, and there are sins, which are the things we do. So the sinful nature is the root, and the sins are the fruit. An apple tree isn't an apple tree because it has apples. It has apples because it is an apple tree. Likewise, we sin because we are sinners. Finally, Adam died at age 930. God's intention was that his relationship with men and women would be eternal. Sin brought this plan to a crashing halt. Now we see death. God warned them that they would die if they disobeyed. And although his death wasn't imminent, it was inevitable. His soul and body were separated. This was the next aspect of death, another separation. Remember, death is not annihilation, but separation. We can assume Eve lived about as long as Adam, maybe longer, as women do. There's a joke that asks, why do women live longer than men? The answer, they take longer to get ready. So information about women is rarely in biblical genealogies because this was a patriarchal society. Eve was a woman unlike any other, knowing a time before sin, a time of perfect fellowship with God and unity with her husband. Adam and Eve had many sons and daughters, but we know who did most of the suffering for that. I can't imagine all those pregnancies. And also consider her losses, her loss of innocence, her relationship with God, her marriage relationship changed, the loss of her home, one son murdered, one son exiled. Death comes to all regardless of how long we live. How much shorter do our lives seem 
who live uh, 70 or 80 years on average. Our lives are a vapor. Life is short and eternity is long. The previous chapter recorded the first death by murder. This chapter records death from old age. The following chapters record death by catastrophe. But no matter the cause, the result is always the same. Think of time as a conveyor belt or a moving sidewalk that doesn't stop but propels you forward inexorably. There's the saying, life is hard and then you die. And this is true. So some ask, are Adam and Eve in hell? What do you think? I would say no because of the following reasons. First, God's promised Redeemer, the seed of the woman. Second, his provision of a covering for them. Third, his mercy towards them in sending them away and keeping them out of Eden. Yes, it was a punishment, but it was to save them from a worse predicament, being in a sinful nature and never dying, if they would have eaten from the tree of life. Fourth, I also think he taught them about sacrifice and what was an acceptable way to approach him, which is what they taught their sons, although Cain refused to do what he knew was right. I also see God's mercy in giving them Seth and giving them hope that the Redeemer would come who would make it all right. And sixth, Adam is mentioned in the redemptive line of Christ in Luke 3, 21-38, and in it he is called Adam, the Son of God. So the world is, was being populated rapidly, but only key names are recorded in each family line. It is a representative list, not an exhaustive one. It says each of these people had sons and daughters, so they are fulfilling the command to be fruitful and multiply. In this chapter, it is tracing the godly line through Adam to Seth, to Enosh, to Canaan, to Mahalalel, to Jared, to Enoch, to Methuselah, who was the oldest person in the Bible at 969 years. Yet he died too. Interestingly, it has been calculated that he died the year of the flood, although likely before it, not in it. Also, all these patriarchs, except Noah, were born before Adam died, so they would have heard all about the events in the Garden of Eden, the creation, the fall, the promised deliverer, and the right way to worship from Adam. So the unusual length of life could be accounted for because the antediluvian or pre-flood world was very different. It was tropical, owing to the water canopy surrounding the earth we mentioned in chapter 1 which filtered out ultraviolet rays of the sun. By Genesis 6-3, God puts a limit to the lifespans of his rebellious creatures, and the post-flood inhabitants rarely lived beyond 120. Their ages dropped from Noah at 950, to Abraham 175, to Joseph 110. So by the time Moses, who himself lived to age 120, writes Psalm 90, The lifespan is 70 to 80 years. He says, All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80, if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So this is not to be morbid, but realistic. 
I heard of someone who kept his tombstone outside his door with a birth date but no death date, so that he would see it every time he passed by. Death is a taboo subject in our culture. We try to drown out the thought of it with entertainment or drugs and alcohol. As an oncology nurse, I've seen death up close. We need to be aware that we are mortals. People think that dying is just for other people, but they will live forever. Um, Psalm 49, 10-12 says, For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain, their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations. Though they had named lands after themselves, people, despite their wealth, do not endure, for they are like the beasts that perish. Enoch, who we are told walked faithfully with God and bypassed death as a result because God took him away. We don't know how much more than the New Testament commentary on this. First, he is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus through Mary in Luke 3.37. Next, he is mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11.5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. So this idea of walking is a metaphor for lifestyle. And this walk was fellowship with his God. Amos 3.3 says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Other versions translate it as, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? There needs to be common interests between the parties. Enoch desired to please God and did please God. Lastly, Jude mentions him in verse 14 and 15, attributing a quote to him, which is found in the non-biblical book of Enoch. It doesn't impact its accuracy as Jude was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And while it sounds like he needs a thesaurus, the fourfold use of the word ungodly stresses the core problem, which was a failure to reverence God. So this Enoch is not to be confused with Cain's firstborn son with the same name, after whom he named a city he built. It's also interesting to compare the two lines. In Cain's line, the seventh son of uh, after him was Lamech, who was a polygamist and a murderer. In Adam's line, it was faithful Enoch, who avoided death. Methuselah, among all his other children, also begot a man named Lamech. And this was a godly Lamech, unlike the descendant of Cain, whom we talked about. The word begot is only used in certain versions of the Bible. In the NIV, it says, Adam had a son in his likeness. Begot refers to the father's role in procreation, similar to the word sire, whereas bearing children relates to the mother's role. We see this in Isaiah 45.10 in the NIV, which says, Woe to the one who says to a father, What have you begotten? Or to a mother, What have you brought to birth? 
So Lamech had a notable son who will play a central role in the next four chapters. His name is Noah, which means rest, because they said this prophecy about him. He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. Hebrews 11.7 calls Noah an heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Like Seth and later Moses, they somehow knew that there was something special about him. This comfort and rest are in stark contrast to the catastrophe to come. Comfort would come through him because the godly line would continue and lead to the Savior. Then we're told that at the age of 500, Noah had these three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. In later versions, we'll see that the birth order is actually Japheth, Shem, and then Ham, but Shem is mentioned first because of the importance as he is beginning the beginning of the Semitic people group. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or an application to the Gospel do we find in this chapter? Adam had a son in his likeness and image. When we procreate, we copy God's original creation of men and women in his likeness and image. We should desire to have spiritual children who imitate us as children imitate their parents. Seth was made in Adam's fallen image. All people born into this world are born spiritually dead. Therefore, Jesus said, we must be born again. Although long life is a blessing, even the longest life ends eventually, and after this is the judgment, so we need to prepare for that day. For we are not ready to live till we are ready to die. Enoch and Elijah were unique in that God allowed them to enter into heaven while bypassing death, but that is not the norm. The only other people who will bypass death are those who are alive at the time of Christ's return, who are still alive and are left, who will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. 1 Thessalonians 4.14-17 So Enoch walked with God. And this does not refer to our gait or a physical journey, but is a metaphor for our lifestyle. We are encouraged to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. When Noah was born, they anticipated rest and comfort through him to the fallen, sin-cursed world. And we have a greater hope because of Christ. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Genesis chapter 6. May God bless the study of his word.